Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. Kind of exciting this week, we're starting a new book. We're going to be reading Ruth together for the next four weeks. Are there four chapters? Yeah, four chapters of Ruth. Yeah, I love the book of Ruth. Lots of people love the book of Ruth um, and we're excited to to chat about it. And today we are going to start in chapter one. We're going to do the whole of chapter one. Um, And I thought it'd be good as we start to think about the context of Ruth. So what is the backdrop to what's happening in Ruth? I think that's like always a really good thing to do when you start reading a book of the Bible. Um, So guys, what what's going on? Um, uh, What is the backdrop to this story? Well, the whole book starts, doesn't it, by saying uh, it was in the days when the judges ruled. Uh, So, yeah, this is set in the time of judges, the book. Uh, just before Ruth, uh, sort of between the death of Joshua and before the crowning of Saul. And it's a really dark time in Israel's history. You know, everyone was doing their own, everyone was doing right what was, what was right in their own eyes. Lots of awfulness, no order. And I guess there's a cycle all the way through the book of Judges, isn't there, of um, the people mess up, they go their own way, they do what they want to do. God sends them a judge that helps them, that either rescues them from their enemies and brings them back to God and then it repeats again and again and again and they walk away from God they do what they want to do God's really gracious sends them a judge and um this cycle just moves all the way through the book and they don't seem to ever really learn the lesson and and that's reflected as well isn't it in the fact that it says then that there was a famine in the land so sort of back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy God says doesn't he you know if if you don't uh, if you don't obey me, if you don't, um, you know, follow my rules, then I will punish you. And famine is one of those things that's threatened, isn't it? And we hear here that Israel is in famine. Yeah, it's a really dark and difficult um, time in Israel's history, isn't it? And I, I really love that we get to see a snapshot of some real people's lives in that time. Like we know they're real people, don't we? Because Ruth um Ruth's offspring is going to end up uh, being quite an important part of Jesus's lineage so we can trace that through history um, so we know these are real people living real lives um in that dark and difficult time um, I, I tend to look back upon those like difficult times in history and kind of think oh it just must have been so awful for everybody but I love that we're going to see um God's providence in that time for these people who are faithful to him um, so yeah, let's let's dive in. In this story, we've got Naomi and Elimelech. What choice do they make at the beginning of this passage? Um, and what do you think about their choice? I was really reflecting on this because clearly they leave God's promised land, don't they? So they start off in Bethlehem, which actually means the house of bread. So they're living in a town which is supposed to be a town of plenty where God provides for his people, but it's a famine. And uh, yeah, so I, I know that they do the wrong thing by leaving God's land and going to another land. But um, I, I feel for him as well because he's got two boys and he can't feed them. And so I guess the sensible part of his brain is just thinking, I need to find somewhere where there's food for my family. But one of the books I read about it said, let's not think that it, that's like moving from Manchester to Birmingham because there's food in Birmingham 
it's almost like Moab was such a place of the end. That's where the enemies of Israel lived. And that was a country that had oppressed Israel so much. And so it's almost like us moving to the Islamic state and going there for food because we're so desperate. So I'm really conflicted in how I feel about him because I understand he needs to feed his boys, but I think he chose a bad place to go. Yeah, I agree. I think Moab is a place where God's enemies are. Um, you know, it's a it's supposed to be detestable to the Israelites, isn't it? You know, it's the tribe, one of the tribes that came out of um, Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter. Um, and they've supposed to have been enemies since they entered the promised land. They're supposed to have ended the Moabites, aren't they? And they haven't. And so it's almost like they're turning their back on God's promises and on God, I guess, by leaving Bethlehem and turning toward something that is supposed to be detestable. But I just think it's not black and white, is it? Like if you're if you're worried that your family are going to starve and your line's going to die out and you are the head of the family, what are you going to do? Yeah, there's this progression, isn't there? Because it says in verse one, um, they went to live for a while or to so- sojourn, sojourn? I don't actually know. Yeah, sojourn, yeah in the country of Moab and then we've got like verse two they're living there so verse two um, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem Judah and they went to Moab and lived there then we've got um, Elimelech dying um, and Naomi's sons marry Moabite women so it's like this progression isn't it from we're just going to go there for a bit to get some food to living there and marrying the women there which wasn't which was frowned upon um, if you if you look back at um, God's law um, it's like a slow fade isn't it with these with these things sometimes I mean um, some of the choices that we have to make as Christians like sometimes we we compromise don't we a little bit but then that compromise just ends up getting kind of pushed and pushed and pushed and we end up doing things which we maybe would never have dreamed of doing um, and it all begins doesn't it with with this choice um, that they've made um, I mean it's kind of like what's what's logical what's good for the family do you know uh, I, I read somewhere that Mahlon and Kilion uh, the names mean uh, something like sickness and wasting. Like there's this, you know, were these two young boys, were they in some way ill? Like why did they die young? Um, was uh, Elimelech making a choice for the sake of his sons, his six sons to go to this place? Um, you know, it's a sensible thing to do. It's the logical thing to do. But sometimes um, the safe thing to do and the logical thing to do isn't necessarily the right thing to do Um, because we've got another choice in this passage haven't we let's talk about the other choice that's made so Naomi hears that the famine has come to an end God has come to the aid of his people and she decides to go home and then her daughters-in-law like as they're on their way home her daughters-in-law have a big choice don't they what's what's going on there and what do you think about um, the choices that these guys are making I guess Naomi really encourages them doesn't she to do the sensible thing and go back home to their families and I, th- I think the root of that culturally is because these two girls will get married again if they go back to their parents house it, it says somewhere doesn't it go back to your in in the original it means go back to your mother's bedroom which is what um Naomi encourages them to do which I think is an inference to that's where your mother will find you another arranged marriage you'll get married again And for women in this culture, if you're not married, you have nothing. So I think, again, we see Naomi trying to encourage them to do the sensible thing. Mm. Um, 
but not necessarily the thing of faith or the thing of um, confidence in God. And one of them does that and goes back. And I, yeah, I think she's just being sensible, isn't she? It's interesting that she's not, the passage doesn't comment on that choice, does it negatively or like rebuke her for going home. But I was just really struck that it's Ruth, who's this Moabite woman that acts out of faith here and stays with Naomi and wants to be a part of Naomi's um, life and to trust Naomi's God. Whereas Naomi herself is almost trying to deny that and send them away. So the, the statement of faith comes from the Moabite in this bit of the passage, doesn't it? Not from the Israelite. It's an interesting moment. You know, you've got Naomi whose husband has died, then she still has her two sons, but their wives have been barren for 10 years. Then her sons die and now she is a 50-year-old woman alone with her two daughters-in-law, no husband, no son, no economic support, no, um, you know, kinsman structures. She's a childless widow in a foreign land. She has no significance for anyone. And so, of course, you would think, you know, how can I assist these two daughters-in-law who I would probably feel like I had put in that position. But I do also think that the the choice that she gives or the the suggestion she gives to uh, Orpa, 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 anyway, to the daughter and and <laughs> Ruth, I do think you know with Naomi, I feel like there's this. Yes, she's an Israelite, but as we see later in this passage, she's got some interest. I think anyway, she's got some interesting theology going on. Just at this point, she you begin to see an inkling of. I don't trust God in this situation. I don't trust mm. him to provide for us. Even though at just the time that she needs it, the famine ends. I don't see God working in this. I think we need to give up. You guys need to go back and remarry. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like, mm. Ma like Mary said earlier, <clears throat> compromise has grown in them, isn't, hasn't it, over these years in Moab? And, and yet there is some conflict, isn't there, in Naomi? because she does decide she wants to go back. The famine's ended, and so she is drawn back to the place of safety, which is Bethlehem for her. I don't know exactly where she's at faith-wise. There's still something going on, isn't there? There's still some pull for her to go back to the land of promise and the house of bread. Now the famine's ended. So we've got Ruth and we've got um, Elimelech and his family. They've made these choices, haven't they? And like between doing the sensible thing and the faith-filled thing. Do you think, like, just thinking practically in our lives, do you think sometimes we have to choose between those two, two things? Like, can you think of any examples of that kind of thing and how we can kind of help each other make faith-filled choices? Yeah, um, at the beginning of this year, when we were in sort of the chaos of deciding whether or not to attempt to get into France for language school, there was no clear option. Like the, the sensible thing was to stay in the UK. Uh, I guess you could argue the faithful thing would have been to turn up at the airport and see if we could get into France, you know, taking a risk for God to try and push our move to France forward. There was no clear option. We went with the sensible option. I'm not sure sometimes if you can distinguish between the sensible option and the faith-filled option until you That's look interesting, back. Helen, because I, I observed that situation and thought the faith-filled thing for you guys was to go back into a COVID-ridden NHS and trust God would keep you safe in quite a dangerous situation of going back into 
um, you know, walking towards the threat of the day, which was co- which is was is COVID. So it's interesting that you perceive that differently. Yeah, whereas interestingly for me, the faith-filled thing was moving yet again to another country that I don't know to live with people I don't know (laughs) in a COVID situation. (laughs) Sometimes these choices are are, are so big, aren't they? Like they're huge and sometimes they're tiny, aren't they? It's just, it's the choice to do the right thing in in a small situation. I don't know, it's taking like a financial risk uh, for the gospel or like, a yeah, some kind of job risk or some kind of school, you know, what choices do we make for our children and their schooling and other things like it's, sorry, Jill, were you going to say something? And for going back to Helen's example, we as her friends need to make sure she does go to France when the time is right and not settle into, oh, I'm just going to work in the NHS now because um, with all my friends around me in Manchester, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You can, it's so hard, isn't it? There's freedom in lots of our decision-making and yet I guess is God's glory our primary consideration for the long-term goals of our lives? And yeah, that compromise can creep in easily, can't Mm. it? And I think um, in terms of how can we encourage each other in that, it is that asking that question, what is going to be best for God's glory? reminding each other no matter what decision you make God is faithful and he will walk with you through it it's not like you're going to quote ruin your life it's not you know God is still with you in the storm you are still he's not going to leave you or forsake you it's just reminding each other those things because sometimes these decisions can feel huge you know whether Mm. these two women stayed or remained with Naomi was going to make or break their lives in like you know potentially and so just recognizing like Orpha didn't she didn't do a wrong thing and you know we don't know what happened to her but presumably you know if she'd been an Israelite God would have still been faithful to her even if she decided to go back to uh, uh, to her home place and left mm-hmm. Naomi yeah because really what does Ruth have to gain from going back with Naomi like she doesn't know that Naomi's got this. Naomi seems to have forgotten about Boaz and some other kind of redeeming relatives. Um, she literally is walking towards the unknown, the scary thing. Like, is she crazy? Like she pledges her loyalty to Naomi, doesn't she? In such a beautiful way. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Like that really famous um, quote that people have up on their walls but it's actually incredible isn't it it's just like echoes of um, Genesis isn't there where God calls his people his people and this pe- I will be their God um, do you think she's crazy like really what do you think about Ruth here let's talk about her character and what she's doing here why is she doing this crazy thing well Helen and I had a little debate about this around our kitchen table yesterday Helen do you want to talk first about what you thought past tense thought in the past past tense tense have been beaten into submission Uh, I I actually uh, ended up understanding and then agreeing with the argument but I guess my initial reaction was this is more loyalty to Naomi than anything else Uh, I felt like she didn't want to abandon an older widow and so was choosing to turn away from Moab and their God and that tribe and become an Israelite and therefore 
going back with Naomi, becoming an Israelite and therefore embracing the God that she worships. It was more of a cultural turning from Moab to Israelite rather than anything else. However, as I learned around the kitchen table last night, that's perhaps not what's going on here. Actually, I agree. The, do you know the question, the question that came out that really challenged me when on my thinking on this was, what possible reason could she have for abandoning a likely secure future life other than God. Yeah, we were we were talking about that and saying uh, somehow in this crazy time of losing her husband, losing her father-in-law, she I think she must have seen something of the God of Israel through Naomi. Like, you know, imperfect as Naomi's faith is, I just think she has to be motivated by a faith and a trust in God to do the crazy thing and walk away from a husband or all the things that her parents would have provided for her. I guess that was the, yeah, that was where we landed together. We landed there, I think. We did. We did. As Jews kind of living outside of the land, they probably would have still done a lot of the kind of reciting of stuff and following the festivals and stuff like that. Um, And I wonder whether in all of that, Ruth picked up something of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Um, to his people she would have heard the stories and she would have heard of what God's done and maybe just been drawn to him by his spirit like God works like that doesn't he he works like that in our children I hope you know I hope that our kind of faithful retelling of the stories and and just living life in front of our children is one of the ways that they come to see his goodness and his faithfulness to them I think it's encouraging to me and and it's really encouraging as well that that happens despite Naomi's imperfect faith you know Ruth makes this big statement immediately after Naomi's just said it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me in verse 13 so she's just said God is against me you know she's sort of vaguely I guess veiled criticism of God you know you just get an inkling of what what's in deep in her heart I mean it bursts out later doesn't it Naomi has this probably imperfect faith and yet Ruth can still capture some of what God is like despite that. And that's amazing, isn't it? When she's lost her husband and, you know, like her cir- Ruth's circumstances are not the things that we would imagine would recommend the God of Israel to her. And yet I think you're right, Mary. God's through his spirit has revealed himself to her, even in her grief and her pain. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. And I love, I love that God works like that. Helen you mentioned there something that Naomi said like she how does Naomi um describe her situation we're kind of looking verse 20 21 now can I can I just say by the way I have a sister called Naomi I call her Naomi apparently that's wrong apparently it should be Naomi Helen at at some point in this podcast you've called her Naomi I feel like we should come to an agreement oh I'm so sorry here and now how do we say that well I will just once again admit that I am wrong (laughs) Naomi wrong views here we can call everyone just be bullied see what it's like to live here (laughs) I'm not saying I just feel like we should be consistent in in our in our um calling of Naomi because I really struggle like uh, to me Naomi is Naomi but apparently that's the wrong way to say it Naomi I'll try my hardest Okay, so we've got Naomi. I think we're really free girls to call her, to say it however we want. I don't think there needs to be a standard line here. <laughs> Christian freedom exists in how we say her name. 
Oh man, and Orpah, Orpah and Naomi, it's tricky, it's tricky. Um, yeah, anyway, Naomi says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Uh, my name's Mary, which is what Mara comes from. Um, okay, better. I know, I know. Yeah, let's, let's not go into that. Uh, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Um, so Mara means bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And then she goes on like, what What do you make of this? What do you make of her theology and um, her situation here? Well, the first thing I saw, which I thought was pretty good theology was, she says, doesn't she? I went away, but the Lord brought me back. And so despite the fact that they've made a bad decision, they walked away, actually the Lord didn't give up on them and he brought her back. And I just thought that's true and so encouraging, isn't it? That he didn't give up on them and say, off you go then, Moab for you. He's drawn her back. And that's, I think that's spiritually as well as physically. Um, yeah, I think in the Old Testament, often those things are really a lot more closely linked than we understand. So um, he's brought her back to the land, but he's also bringing her heart back, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's quite a tricky thing, isn't it? Poor, poor Naomi. Um, she, ha yeah, like she says, I guess she went away. It's interesting, isn't it, that she says she went away full and has come back empty when, yeah, she went away full because she had a husband and she had sons, but actually physically she was empty because there was no food. And now she's being brought back, there is food, but there's no son and no husbands. Um, you know, that's quite a, um, an interesting situation that arises for her. And I think um, it just comes out, doesn't it, in verse 20, 21. You know, it finally bursts out of her, doesn't it, where she says, God is clearly against me. You know, he's dealing bitter with me. He's emptied me. Um, he's testified against me. Sort of that connotation of God is unjust. I've done nothing wrong. And yet this has happened to me. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because she's an Israelite, but she has an imperfect faith. And under, under such suffering, because she has suffered, she's really suffered. It just begins to crumble a little bit. She can't see the situation for what it is. She has had a lot taken away from her, but actually she's now got food and she's got Ruth. She's forgotten about Boaz. There are chinks of light in the darkness that Naomi's walking in at the minute. I guess the big, the big chink is, isn't it, right at the end, they went away, at the beginning of the chapter, they went away in a famine and they come back and the last words in the chapter are at the beginning of the barley harvest. So there's food in Bethlehem again. And I think that's a, that's a real note of hope, isn't it? Like God's at work here. God's bringing food back to his people. It, we've had one of those, those judges cycles almost, haven't we? They've had their famine and the food's returning. Um, the people are coming back to the Lord. And that's that's a massive note of hope, isn't it? Mm, yeah, because it's it's in the arena, isn't it, of her coming back. And in uh, in verse 19, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of, because of them. Can this be Naomi? Like everybody's watching them and watching, you know, she left them to go to a, you know, in inverted commas, better place where there was food, but she's come back and everything has been taken away from her. And that must have been really hard with everybody watching her. Um, and then she says this to them, and you know, and they would have been like, who is this Moabite woman you've brought with you? 
Um, and she's saying, doesn't she, I've come back empty. Like, I don't know if that must have been hard for Ruth, who's like just given up her life to come back with Naomi. And Ruth, who is going to be the reason that Naomi's going to have hope again, that, you know, through whom God works. That must have been hard. You know, she's not actually empty. And I just, I was um, reflecting on this, uh, just thinking in the light of depression, Um I wondered, like, I don't think that Naomi necessarily is depressed, but I think there is this nature of depression when you can't see what's true around you and you lose sight of hope in a way. And I think it's really important when we know somebody who's going through depression that we are truth sayers um, and encouragers, not in a kind of Bruce kind of God's got this, you're going to be okay, like just get over it, get up and get over it. And not in that kind of sense, but just pointing out the little bits of hope that there are because it's really hard for someone who's in the middle of depression and in the middle of a really hard time to see anything you just kind of lose you lose all of your perspective you lose all of you you just it's really hard to even see what's true you're kind of just bombarded by lies um and I just thought that was really interesting that she says that even though we can see objectively that there are hopeful things so I guess we'd whisper to her wouldn't we Naomi God's brought you back he's given you Ruth and there's food in Bethlehem. Like those would be the three things, aren't they, to say, look at those little signs of hope that God's doing good things here. This is the thing that I absolutely loved about this chapter um, was this. I read something that said, you know, when you're driving in the dark, you can already see, you can only see, you know, 50 yards ahead. You can't see beyond that. You just can't anyway. And that's when you're doing well and your eyesight's good. But when your heart is broken and you're suffering or you're depressed and your eyes are filled with tears, you then can't even see beyond your windscreen. And so you need people around you whispering, it's okay. The way is clear. God is sovereign. He can see further. He knows. We just need to keep driving straight. Trust him. Trust in his promises. It's going to be okay. You need to you need to be surrounded by people who are going to tell you those truths, don't you? Even as you're in the midst of your suffering, not telling you that by feeling sad and suffering, you're wrong, but it's going to be okay. This is what God says. This is what he's promised. This is we know that the road is straight 50 miles ahead because God has said it it is. And for those, I think uh, Jill's talked about this before, but in the times when you're you're not in those dark places, when, you know, it's, it's so good to just be feeding our souls with those truths so that when people um, speak those truths to us, there's kind of like an echo in our souls. Yes, I, I, you know, somewhere in this darkness, I know that this is true and I'm just going to keep clinging to this even when I just feel like, I sometimes feel like it's not. I'm just going to keep clinging. And yeah, and sometimes, yeah, it's such a, it's, it's, it's hard to walk with someone who feels like that because you feel like such a responsibility to, to point them to what's true in it. And you're not always going to do it right. Um, but they've got it in them as well. I think that's an encouragement. If you, know, if you know that they've been walking those truths for many years, you know they're in there and the spirit's in them. It's just so important, isn't it, that when we're not in, not in crisis, that we fill ourselves up with God's word. Because... You know, if you imagine God as like a son, crises and sadness and badness and suffering makes us wonder if we see, if we'll ever see the sun again. You know, it's that little... They're like the clouds, that, I guess, aren't they? Those things yeah. are clouds that block our but vision. But then when, you're, when you've been in that place for so long, you begin to doubt the existence of the sun, unless you have somebody next to you saying, 
the sun is there. Mm. You just need to keep going. It will come out. It is there. Mm. And I guess the kindness of God in this passage is Ruth is that kindness to um, Naomi because she's the one that's whispering faith and truth about God, isn't it? Isn't she? And so what a beautiful gift that Ruth is to, to Naomi, who's struggling to see the sun. Naomi here in this, in this passage, with the things she's saying is, you know, I don't understand what's happening here and I want God to show me the way out. It's basically what she's saying. I don't understand what's happening here and I want God to show me the way out. And he, she's basically crying out for God, give me sight. But actually, and that's what we do, isn't it? When we suffer, we're like, I don't understand what's going on here. I want to know the way out. I want to know the way to get out of this bad situation and back into a good situation. And what is it actually that we're called to do from the Bible? We're called to live by faith and not by sight. And I guess when we're suffering, it's helping each other to say, Lord, help me to trust you and your goodness and that you are leading me down a path that is better for me than I would have chosen for myself and, and asking, encouraging each other in our suffering and in our difficulties to pray for faith and not sight, because I found that really challenging whenever I'm in a difficult situation, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, I'm always saying, God, show me the clear path, not God, I really want to trust you in this. Help me to do that. Yeah, that's great, Helen. I, I think my my big thing was almost not necessarily in the big decisions, but just day to day, how easy it is to choose Moab or to choose to go to the place that is sensible and easier rather than to choose the faith-based um, response. And that those are even just responses of our heart, isn't it? Can, will we respond by trusting and praising God when life doesn't go the way we want to? Or will we stamp our feet and walk off to Moab because it's not the even the day or the hour or that interaction hasn't gone the way we wanted it to and I just think our hearts are so tempted to Moab aren't they all the time of the sensible thing is to give up on that person or the sensible thing is to not open myself up again to that sort of emotional pain um but the faith-based decision is to trust God's goodness and character and um that he's at work in those hard things changing us yeah like I when we moved our family overseas like that did feel like moving towards the not sensible thing and the not safe thing um but I was really encouraged at the time by something I read about joy how when when God asks us to be in that difficult or more difficult place um the kind of less safe place um it will be the place where you have the most joy um and that was really challenging to me because I kind of think, you know, less safe, um, less logical will mean really hard, really difficult, unhappy. But actually, often in that less safe or more difficult place is where you find the most joy. Um, and I've really, like, I can testify to that over the years, even though it has been hard moving overseas and being here. Like, we've had just so much joy here. So, yeah, just an encouragement for people who are listening who who have a difficult choice to make. It's not always the most difficult thing because God like provides in that. Yeah, I think um, we have a temptation, don't we, to think that the best thing is the easy thing. And I think I have very much learned that uh, God, yeah, like you said, God leads you to the place of most joy. It might require a long path. It might not be an easy path, but 
it is all it is a place of joy um and I think you learn a different type of joy in the struggle and the suffering you learn to be joyful about things that God wants you to be joyful about I guess you leave behind things that give you pleasure and you end up finding joy I think they're two very different things Great. Like, I really enjoyed Ruth Chapter 1. Really looking forward to um, digging into Ruth Chapter 2 with you guys. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.